Daniel, the sport. I, I literally think that might be the, the the title of this episode. This effing sport. I mean, every week we think we see something crazy, and we're like, nothing can top that. And the MMA gods are like, hold our beer. Yeah, and um, there was so much insanity. I don't even know where to start, Jason. But we just see the most craziest thing. We have a pay-per-view that features Islam Mahachev taking on Volkanovski, right? Two of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. And who's the big storyline? This random-ass doctor who doesn't <laughs> believe that Victor Henry has a big package. I mean, it's not a good sign when we're talking UFC 294 takeaways and we're talking ringside doctor. And was it really a 28-28 scorecard? That's not, that's not, like, that's, like, the the takeaway from UFC 294 should be about a beautiful head kick that Islam Ahachev lands on Alexander Volkanovsky would know. We're going to talk about the doctor. Uh, Of course, we got Fury and Ghanu coming up on Saturday afternoon. uh, We'll see uh, how uh, intrigued me and Daniel are on that one. Plus, we got some miscellaneous news. Jake Paul's promotions team puts out a statement. Also, Scott Coker releasing Bill Danis. (laughs) I mean. They're like going out of business. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to make of this story. Uh, but, you know, I want to start with a little lighter side of combat sports. You know, we all spend way too much time on our phones. And if you're like myself, you probably spend way too much time on Instagram reels. And, Daniel, I saw this reel on Saturday, and it just made me laugh my ass off. Daniel, I mean, sometimes you just need some comedy in your life. We need some memes. We need some memes to survive the uh, the hard news aspects of covering this sport, which there are hard news of plenty, and we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, Conor McGregor, um, that is the one part of him that I can relate to. That's me pretending like I'm some expert as the fights are going on. Absolutely love look good start to the podcast. And uh, I will say, you know, the comedy, the humor of the internet, it's undefeated. It is absolutely undefeated. Oh yeah. I mean, sometimes, and, and, and we've all seen that at some point, whether it's yourself, it's one of your buddies or you're out at a, a bar watching it. I, I do. I, I do have a little bit of a, Story watching UFC 294 at a bar. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But, you know, I've said this, like, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on X as I once did. But when I do, I find myself going over to that for you um, feed. You know, so I I feel like it kind of, it gets me caught up in the world of MMA. And, uh, boy, it's it's been an interesting couple of days on, on the old X over there. I don't know if people have. First off, I, I saw. So uh, by the way, uh, Luke Thomas apparently had some very interesting mentions in, in his timeline. But there was uh, two that really stuck out to me this week, and one comes from old Ill Will Brooks, the former uh, UFC lightweight who's trying to get back into the UFC. Where Luke Thomas is responding to uh, someone had quote tweeted 
where Erhawani was talking about basically not sure sure how to feel about the the characters in mixed martial arts and and the characters that they they find themselves with and most notably talking about Chemayev and Kadyrov and, and Luke Thomas for people to watch this on video uh, the the tweets up there where it says it may seems infinitely sketchier to me than boxing both in terms of who's evolved and how powerful they are especially with peripheral characters evolved, associated and then Will Brooks. This was what really stuck out to me, Danny. He said, he goes, and this is Will Brooks tweeting, if fans and media can accept that MMA is not and will never be a legitimate sport, it's just not. So being that it's not a sport, MMA is a magnet for sketchy individuals and sketchy situations. And uh, yeah, that, that was a very interesting comment to me by Will Brooks. And, you know, it, it's one of these things of sometimes you, you, you see – the individuals that people align themselves with and you do like it's one of these things of if you are watching ufc 294 with someone that does not fall mma how do you describe hasbula at least with mma hasbula has transcended the sport i'm talking i'm talking you're out of sports bar on a Saturday afternoon. It's an afternoon UFC pay-per-view. You got people in the bar that just want to watch college football that may not be MMA fans. How do you explain Hasbulla to them? I, I don't I don't even know Hasbulla really. I don't understand what's happening, why he's just randomly hanging around the team. But you know, he he is famous. Like he Hezbollah is like people have seen Hezbollah. He yeah. has transcended he may be like the most famous person in MMA. Honestly, I think he might be. He, uh, I constantly see him in TikToks, but uh, you can't explain his bula. Why is he such a an important fixture of uh, you know the uh, the Habib team? But uh, like, it, it's I, I, dude, he's in UFC five. I didn't know that. Yes, he's in UFC five. What well, weight class? The, the screenshot I saw is him walking out Mahachev to the, the cage at UFC 5. Like, I, I literally, like, if I go to my non-MMA Oh, fans, he's not a fighter. You can't fight like, with him. Like, okay, I'm likely going to be, and we'll talk about this later on, I'm likely going to be in a bar on Saturday afternoon. FSU game is at noon. The place I go will have Fury and Ganu. Like, if I look to some people that will likely be with me, who are not in the MMA community and Hasbulla just happens to be there and they go, Hey Jason, who's Hasbulla? I'm going to be like, how do I explain this? How do I explain? Go. He's not a kid. He's an adult. And, um, the MMA, uh, community adores him. Is that about the best way to put it? Yeah. He's the greatest. And I think this all ends with him getting a UFC fight. You know, you think that's supposed to shock me? <laughs> I might be more shocked if it doesn't happen. I know. I don't know if we got a book all right, all right. versus. No, 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 no. What's more likely? Fight in the UFC or a fight in Power Slap? Oh my God! I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. I think. I think that's the one thing that would get me to watch a Power Slap show is a Hespula Power Slap. But you know, he's easy. I, I just I, – I don't know, but I do love him. He's great. I do wonder if he makes good conversation. Like once the cameras are off, are they just, you know, 
shooting the shit and just, you know, having good, deep conversations or, or, or whatnot. But uh, he's, he's a cute guy. Yeah, I, I don't know how to explain. By, by the way, but an interesting comment for Will Brooks, and yes. I don't necessarily disagree with him. The other interesting interaction that not just Luke Thomas had with a certain fighter, but also Amy Kaplan had with a certain fighter, and that is Justin Gaethje, where uh, Luke Thomas originally tweets, he goes, Abu Dhabi is, the broadcast tell us, the safest city in the world. You can also be thrown in jail for criticizing the government on Twitter, though. Justin Gaethje. Uh, then has these two responses where he says, leave it to Luke. You never miss a chance to let us all know how much better you are than everybody else. Their values are strong. Your morals seem weak, but I'm sure I'm wrong. Yes, I went to Chechen guy's son's birthday party. I will judge the world in my own eyes as you have. The people there are respectful and excited to meet me as the other place I have been. Lighting up the eyes of random kids in that town is something I would never give back. All right, Daniel. Like, Justin Gaethje, man, like, you're a great fighter. You're literally in the house of a guy who has U.S. sanctions against him. Yeah, this isn't like Luke Thomas just on his high horse. This is the United States government saying, hey, no. Like... Justin, you just got to understand that you are doing public relations for this dude, Kadarov. You are doing public relations. You're doing PR work. Of course, it's going to be nice and it's going to be pleasant and you're going to inspire lots of children. But there's a deeper, darker side to the man you're helping mm-hmm. out. And it's Luke Thomas's. Well, it's actually not his job. His job is to cover MMA. Well, I guess it is his job. But basically what I'm saying is what I'm saying by saying is not his job is this is a very serious individual that is a part of world news headlines, not just like MMA headlines. So MMA journalists, we are stepping out of our lane to talk about this, but we're forced to talk about this because it's relevant to the readers to know like, hey, your favorite fighter is being used as a PR person for this dictator. And that's just relevant information to the viewer. Like it's relevant to know that. And Justin's experience with him, I'm sure will always be amazing because that's what he's set up to do. But yeah, like Luke has strong morals because he's basically saying you shouldn't go to jail for criticizing the government. And I kind of agree with that. You know, I kind of agree with that moral value. You know, it's one of these things where I'm like, obviously Gaethje got paid to be there. I would, if I was Justin Gaethje or someone around him, I'd probably be looking at him and going, who sent you there? Do they have your best interests? And look, and, and Justin's going to do what he does, but it's kind of like, it's one of these things of like, hey man, read the room. Like you were in the house of a, a dictator, a warlord. I mean, wh- whatever term you want to throw out there. I mean, the guy's got U.S. sanctions against him. So, like, I saw on social media, I just, I, I just shook my head. I was like, and then, hey, you remember a couple weeks ago when Dana White's like paraphrasing, "Hey, sorry, you pussies, uh, we're gonna let these guys come out with flags." Wow, no flags this past weekend. I mean, it was really bad timing. It was really bad timing to come up with that policy, and literally a week later, we now have. A, just a horror story going on between you, Israel and Palestine. And but you literally it's have like, a f- it's the most. Makayev comes out and says we can't come out with flags. Like he's on the card. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was the most Dana White timing of all time. 
it was authoritative. It was like, it was Dana White, like, of course we're going to have flex forever or whatever. Like, and then immediately a week later, we have an international incident that has led to so many innocent people dying. And obviously you can't have a, you know, a flag representing really either side at this point, because that's a, that's just, that's a, like, I, I even hesitate to even say anything about that conflict other than it's sad that so many people are dying and yeah you cannot put a flag in the, of either of those countries in the in the octagon it's as simple as that i mean that is uh people are dying it's crazy it's it's tragic and it's something me or you can't relate to because we live in our comfortable lives and we aren't concerned about that but you have all these people who have died in the past month and who are concerned for their lives innocent people so it's it's an awful situation, and it's just so MMA that that is our lane that we're tangentially related to this topic because of Dana White had going to a press conference and saying flags are back, and then just one week later that happens. So it's just like what the hell. Well, be interesting is do we see fighters with flags next Saturday down in Brazil? If that is the case, then I think it, it raises a bigger question of was there maybe no flags because of where they were doing the event. And that, I mean, look, they get a lot of money because to Abu Dhabi. I mean, look, that's, that's and, the reality and, of it. And so, so many of those guys have such a different perspective on what's happening than us because that's their lives. You know, they live close to that area. They're, they're aware. They, they, have, they know so much more information. I'm incredibly ignorant. So their perspective on life is so much more different than mine. And again, I just think it's worth having a moving line. It makes sense not to get in those waters because those are dangerous, murky waters. And it makes sense to allow people to go and celebrate Brazil, you know, because it's harmless. No one is going to be offended by a Brazilian having a Brazil flag, I think. Maybe Colby Covington. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, it's, it's. I mean, look, it's just, it's one of those interesting things. As we move on to UFC two ninety four, as I said at the beginning of the show, it's never a good sign when the biggest takeaway, like, I mean, look, Daniel, we've seen a lot of crazy ass crap in the sport. I never thought I would see a doctor come into the cage and go, "No, you didn't get kicked in the balls." Like, literally. If Victor Henry did not get kicked in the balls, which clearly he did, but if he did not, he deserves an Oscar because that would have been a hell of a performance. I mean, like. I think this doctor came from either the Explode Fight Series or Alaska FC. I mean, this doctor was the absolute worst. Uh, the, The situation with Johnny Walker, honestly, there's a lot more gray area there. To me, Johnny Walker was out of it. We'll get into that one later. But the nut shot deal was okay. unexcusable. To to say you didn't get hit in the nuts when clearly this man who is a badass fighter went all the way to Abu Dhabi. You think he's going to fake a nut shot like that? Are you effing kidding me? Use some common sense. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's like, the worst he, nut he, shot reaction that, I've ever seen in my life. By exactly. The way. I've never exactly. seen it worse than that. Any of us watching that, we every man watching that all had the same reaction. Yeah. And yeah. 
you know it's bad when you hear the the reaction John Anik has on the broadcast. Like to me, that tells me that like if you just heard that, you would just go, "What the hell are we watching?" And the Johnny Walker thing, like, okay, you ask where he's at. Isn't he technically in the desert? Yeah, but that's a bad answer. But but I I will say this much. Okay, he asked him what round he was in next, and Johnny just was, like, oblivious. That was more troubling. And the biggest issue with Johnny Walker is whenever the fight is called, he just doesn't recognize that it's called, and then he just pushes the referee. Like, no person with a sane mind – I'm sorry. No person with or not, like, dr- like messed up because of a knockout blow is going to push a referee or not realize the fight was called in that instant. So he failed the test there. I think the issue there is that Johnny Walker wasn't given maybe five minutes to recover. Because we'll see in fights where a guy gets rocked, he makes it the round, the minute goes, and he comes back and performs well. So I just think the doctor was jumpy, was too quick with what he was saying, asked a complex question to start. And also, there is the language difference between Johnny Walker, English not being his first language. So there are so many different things that went wrong there. I do think Johnny Walker was out of it, given the fact that, again, he just shoved the referee. I just I, feel like that's a bad move. I don't know. He got hit with a legal shot. I mean, uh... yeah, but there's a value in the fact that he's really messed up. He may he shouldn't continue anymore. But there's also value and you have five minutes to recover. Are you going to get back at it? But, uh, yeah, Uncle Aya was ready to fight. But, yeah, John Anik, if he says the word testicles on the broadcast, chances are it was a bad nut shot. I mean, the poor dude had a freaking, I think, an MRI done on his balls. Yeah. Uh, dude, to do a whole fight camp, go to Abu Dhabi, and it ends with you getting an MRI on your balls. That sucks. No, I, I never want that to happen ever to me. I hope that never happens again. But, like, I mean, look, you had earlier on in the night, you had Theo Wood go through the same situation, you know, gets two of them. And that fight was stupid. That fight and was si- stupid. And we still saw 47 no fouls. We saw 47 <laughs> fouls in that fight. We had there's still no fouls. point taken. Like, Bro, we had, the dude, we had the dude grab the fence and defend a takedown and then immediately take down Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood was out here doing fouls too. That that final scorecard should have been like 17 to 14. <laughs> With the amount of fouls that we saw. Overall, I think the biggest deal was the infrastructure of the regulations and the officiating of the event was below average by a wide margin. And they had some great officials there. Jason Herzog was in the house. But uh, overall, it was it was, it was was two thumbs down. That doctor shouldn't be involved in a high-profile mixed martial arts event until he proves himself. That he can, and I don't think we'll ever see him again. But uh, that was that was insane. I mean, look, the fact that we had Dana White in the octagon stopping two fighters in the brawl is crazy. <laughs> Dana White's in here is like, Daddy's here. <laughs> yeah, like you talk about um, interesting uh, officials. Let's get to the co-main event. Watching it live, my first thought was 28-28. Like, okay, after the second round. Trevor Whitman's given this advice to Kamaru Usman, and I'm like, does he think it's, like, tied? Because, and this is also, and we talked about this last week with, with that clip from Andy Foster about 10-8 rounds and how he's saying that damage has to be a part of it for it to be a 10-8 round. But here's my issue, and I, I've got no problem with what Andy Foster said there. 
But the problem is, tell me how a first round where all three judges scored a 10 8, by the way, for Hamzat Chemaev. Like, if you think that's a 10 9 round, how is that a 10 9 round? And the second round is 10 9 for Kamar Usman. They're two totally different rounds where one, where, I mean, Usman clearly won the second round. I mean, but it wasn't like an overwhelming margin, like the way round one was. Like, by the way, later on in the show, people are going to hear the conversation I had with Shamrock FC. President Jesse Finney, of course, they've got their 350th event coming on. People hear that a little bit later on the show. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, but like to me, that like that's that's the problem with mixed martial arts scoring. And I, I don't have an answer to this equation, but the problem is like if you think round one is 10-9 for Hamzat Chemaev, and then 10 round second round is 10-9 for Kamaru Usman, like they they don't match. Yeah. I mean 10-9 is the most common scorecard by an absurd number. And I do think the way to improve judging is to turn the 10-8 and to turn the 10-8 into a 10-7 and have a more liberal viewpoint of what a 10-8 is. You know, I mean, I would even be like, all right, 10-9 is like a close round. You go either way. 10-8 is this guy clearly won. 10-7 is what what a 10-8 is now. This guy almost got finished. And that's how I would score. And that's how I would do it. Because I think that would be a much better way of judging fights. We'll probably get more draws. I mean, how about Vito, the third judge in this one? I don't, I don't want to butcher his last name. He scored the second round for Hamza Shemaev. Yeah. Think about this. I, I, I think if I asked 10 knowledgeable MMA people, all 10 would say 10-9, Kamal Usman in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. If Vito scores at 10-9 for Usman then we have got a majority draw. That's crazy to think about. It really is. And it, look, if this was a five-round fight, Kamaru Usman beats Chimaev, I oh, think. If you want to talk about take, I mean, first round, that takeaway is like, oh, this is this is a Hamzat Chimaev we know. Now, I mean, apparently he may have broken his hand there in the first round, but then but what you saw in that second and third round if there is a liability we see in Hamzat Shemaev is, I don't think this guy's got four or five round cardio. Yeah, and, and that's where there becomes real question marks if he gets that championship fight. I mean, that's this is a guy who he's much bigger than, who took the fight on a short notice, who is incredibly skilled. Kamaru is going to go down as one of the top three welterweights of all time. But um, five rounds, he would have won this fight against Shemaev. So, you match him up with whoever is going to hold that middleweight championship. If he's not able to fight, if he's not able to finish Sean Strickland in round one, Strickland's going to win that fight going away in three through five. Like if you look at and, you know, leading up to this event, Dana White said that the winner of the Cobain event would get a title shot saying that they were healthy. And like, I'm Sean Strickland and, and Sean Strickland, I thought had a, a great comment. I know you may, you may not always agree with what Sean Strickland says, but to me, you know, he came out and paraphrasing what he said is like, that's not how you earn a title shot. Now you could also say that maybe Sean Strickland didn't deserve a title shot when he got it. But like, if I'm Sean Strickland and I'm looking at, Potential challengers for your first title defense. Drake is two plusies. And then it's probably Hamzat. Yeah. I don't know. If I'm Sean Strickland, I might pick Hamzat. It's real simple. Which one's going to do a bigger box office? And the answer is undeniably Hamzat. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're Sean Strickland, which one's the easier matchup? I don't know. That's a tough question, actually, because like, 
I think Hamzat is overwhelming, like an overwhelming force from a wrestling standpoint. I I like Sean's stand up against okay. DDP. From a combat sports fan and how the fight would play out, I think I'd be more interested in Strickland and DDP. Just because stylistically, I think it would be a fun fight between those two guys. I think it's probably a fight that plays out majority on the feet. If it's Hamzat, we all know what Sean Strickland has to do, but if Sean Strickland can survive kind of the way Kamar Usman survived that first round, I mean, that, that, that to me would be the interesting thing. If you're Sean Strickland and the UFC says, all right, you either get DDP or you get Hamzat, it's your choice. I think he'd probably go Chimaev just I mean probably and I think thought's gotta be is hey that, that's the fight that probably gives me the best chance to, to make the most money. If you get a percentage out of the pay-per-view buys, you will have more money in your bank account if you take the Chimaev fight. Mm-hmm. This is just that's just simple math. And honestly, it's gonna be a pretty significant difference. Oh yeah. Straight up. I mean, it's just Chimaev has the interest of the casual fan. DDP doesn't. DDP versus Strickland does less business than DDP versus Izzy. DDP versus Izzy is a fight. That's a story you can tell, and people yeah. will get into it. DDP versus Sean, you really can't. That being said, when you look at a sporting standpoint, who has earned the championship opportunity, it's DDP, and it's not close. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, you know, it, it's, and we'll see what happens there. I mean, in main event, Islam, man, just a, a beautiful head kick that he landed. I'll give my my guy Pete Rogers Jr. credit. He actually called it. He, he That's how he kind of saw if the knockout was going to come. That was going to happen that way. But, like, as by the way, were you like me, and were you surprised there was not a Conor McGregor call out by Islam in his post-fight interview? Kind of, but Islam is such a sporting dude. He is such a put whoever in there, I'm going to kick his ass. Like, that is his perspective. That being said, we're talking about putting money in the bank account. That's the type of fight that will put money in the bank account. And, you know, Connor hasn't really mentioned Michael Chandler's name all too much either. So, (laughs) poor Michael Chandler. I feel so bad for Michael Chandler. He's just been on the shelf. And we both know he's probably not going to get that fight at this point. That just straight up sucks, donkey. Donkey balls. But uh, Okay, all right. I didn't put this one in the rundown, but – who is the most likely opponent for Conor McGregor in his return fight to the UFC? Michael Chandler, Stephen Thompson, or a guy that I fully expect to be in the UFC in a matter of time, Michael Page. Wow, that's a good one. I see Michael Page as a strong possibility. But I'm just going to be an internet troll and tell you that UFC 300 is going to beat Connor versus Islam. <laughs> Bro, that would not shock me. Like, that would not shock me one bit. There's no like, logic to Connor's fights. It's just give him championship fights, even though he's lost and look like crap and probably juiced. Yeah, just do it. Give it. I mean, I, I like gut instinct. Oh, God. I, I, I'm sorry for accusing Connor McGregor of juicing. I don't want Hunter Campbell to do a press conference on me. Uh, Conor McGregor Islam is like my gut instinct. That's just going to be the UFC 300 fight. By the way, who the hell is going to beat Mahachev? I don't – okay, let me just ask you straight up. Who I have an answer, but I got to ask you first. Who's the most interesting guy that you think could beat Mahachev? I don't know if it's at 55. Okay, I was going to go game route for my answer, but who who who's, who's it at 170 then? I mean, look, I think anybody at 170 – 
um, just because I think he would have the, the physical size advantage that he has. I think Colby yeah. Covington would be a very tough matchup for him. Um, but but I think I, I think his striking. I mean, like, look, like, you know, Gaethje's obviously calling for the fight. We'll see what happens, with Charles Oliveira. Like, I'd probably, if you told me right now, he's his next fight is defending the 155 pound title. I'd probably be more interested in seeing the Gaethje fight than with Oliveira. Yeah, I think so too. I know because like I want to see those two guys trade, but uh, I mean, it's just. I just feel like Islam has everyone's number. Put him up against Poye, Gaethje, Oliveira. If Dariush gets a win, if Chandler gets a win, Gamrot to me is just the most talented guy who's unproven. Like in terms of he hasn't had that many championship level fights really, and he to me commands a lot of respect. Incredibly well rounded, and I just feel like he's the he's the most interesting sporting standpoint. But I would feel confident. Imahachev beating all these guys. But again, you you look at that top six, top ten. Who's got the best ability? Who's most likely to finish Islam? Well, I think it's Justin Gaethje. I think he has yeah. the best offensive firepower to potentially catch him. Who has the best opportunity to potentially catch Islam in a submission? Well, I think the answer is Charles Oliveira. Yeah, no doubt about it. By the way, um, speaking of what happened last weekend, did you happen to see... Allah Muhammad's comment in relation to GSP. What did he say? Quote, I've already beaten everybody else. I've got to get what I deserve and what I'm owed. And that's the title shot. I'd rather fight Leon because I think that win will mean more to me. It'll submit myself as the best welterweight to ever do it. When you look at my resume, I'll be up there with GSP's resume. There'll be no one else up there with me. Below, uh, below, below. Look, I I saw this and I go, he I I could love the confidence, love the confidence, but come on, man, we gotta be real here. Like, no, you, no. <laughs> you've won a lot of fights. You are incredibly talented. Win the championship and defend it a few times before you call yourself George freaking Saint Pierre. So you know your fourth most impressive win is like Damian Maya. This was uh so this is an article that uh from Sports Kita. And uh basically the people then responding to what uh, bl- fans responding. One fan goes, We need to protect fires from CTE. Another fan goes, This is the worst take of 2023 and potentially 2024. And then another one says, George St. Pierre, UFC welterweight champion, 2,064 days, nine successful title defenses, retired as champ, then came back four years later to become the middleweight champion. Bilal, not even a number one contender yet. Yeah, yeah, guys, guys, he's won a lot of fights. It's impressive. You pull off that Wikipedia and you go, damn, it's a lot of green. But uh, looks like he was smoking. A lot of green when he sent out that tweet because that is just no, no. It was it was in a Q and A. Oh, yeah, it was a Q and A in Abu Dhabi. Guess he had whatever Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso had during that post fight press conference. What's that? Uh, what yeet? Yeet? Yeah, had a little yeet juice. Yeah, Bilal, come on, man. Dude, I, I'm telling you, that is one of the funniest press conferences ever. Yeah, yeah, they probably got something prescribed from that doctor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that, that was funny. I mean, Dude, there's nothing like um uh Abu Dhabi mismatch. You know what I mean? An Abu Dhabi mismatch is like 
because like the region from like you know fighters from russia dagestan whatever so they are the absolute most dangerous lethal fighters i've ever seen in my life and every pay-per-view we get mismatches but usually it's just like some random like american wrestler going up against this guy he's like a minus 400 so he's just gonna take him down and dominate win 30 27 nah bro you go to abu dhabi you get some of these dagestani monsters some of these russian monsters some of these guys from the middle east or asia they just destroy people they end lives like bro you come out here and you get Ikram Alaskarov and you're a dog, you're gonna get destroyed. You are gonna you are going to go you're gonna be unconscious. If you were if you are in the cage against someone from that specific region, you will not remember how the fight ends. So that's what I love about these Abu Dhabi pay-per-views, is we have some absolute lethal fighters that I I, I just yeah. So I mean, and that's kind of what we saw on that main card, bro. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's that's one of those things of like, and the UFC has tried to book him against. I mean, they have him booked in July against Paul Costa before they move Costa to fight on this card, and then Paul Costa is getting a fight in the, in the stands. Uh, Poor Paul. Paul, stay healthy, recover. I loved how like during the commentary. Somebody was like, "Yeah, Paulo's still recovering." He's like, "No, he's here in the stands." Somebody was like, "No, he's still here in the audience." But uh, yeah, man, some of those guys are just—I don't want to mess with them. Like Magomed Ankalaev. I mean, he's had some some crap luck, obviously, in these last two fights. But dude, what a talented two hundred five! I'm scared he's just going to retire because he's pissed off over all the BS that's been happening. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, to go back on the Victor Henry fight, uh-huh. Java Basarat, man. Why are you tempting the MMA gods? What's that? Because he's not buying that um, Victor Henry got hit in the nuts. Is he doubled down on that? Yep. Are you serious? Dead serious. What a what a jerk! You think this guy is? Uh, come on, you first off, you hit him in the nuts, and then you're saying he didn't. Like, come on, dude. You, and the thing is, Bashara is like incredibly talented. By the way, like this guy is going to be a hell of a one thirty five or for the next, God knows how many years. But yeah, take some ownership over hitting the guy yeah. in the balls. Oh no, they, they want to appeal it to get ruled to a TKO victory. No, that should be no. What you? I've never seen a shot to the inner thigh have that reaction in the history of this sport. And there's been like four hundred and seventy UFC events in the past year. Okay. That's just not how one reacts. You hit the guy in the in the balls, you know. It's you don't know where his balls are. He's not wearing invisible clothes. Yes, some of us have smaller packages than other. If I may have more room in the groin area, but you know, Brock Lesnar is packing. So you hit anywhere where the shorts are, you're probably going to hit Brock Lesnar's pecker. So give Victor Henry some grace. So Ariel had, had a tweet about it. Josh Barnett, of course, one of the, the coaches, cornermen for Victor Henry, has a comment about uh, the size of what they've been swollen up to as they're sitting in the hospital. Jawa Basarat goes, honestly, I respect you and you're a legend of the sport, but you, me, and Victor Henry knew that he quit. There was no way any contact was made. I remember even when I threw the kick, it was clean, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and now re-watching it, it was clearly a legal blow. Bro, Javin, you're very talented. You are tempting the MMA gods in your next fight. I know he's going to get matched up with the hardcore leg kicker. By the way, what a bunch of BS he said there. 
There was no clear camera angle of that kick. Okay? He's literally, so you see, dude, he's posting was, videos that's like, bro, how do you not see this? Yeah. There was like 37 cameras in the building, and I'm sure the, the, the producer was yelling, find me an angle that shows the kick. And all of them were, you could not see crap. You could not see crap. There is no video proof that can justify what Javi is saying. You kick the guy in the balls, own up to it. It wasn't like clear. He didn't kick him right in the gonads, right right in between the, the it wasn't clear. But we all know you make contact with any part of the package, you're going down. And he, he hit the sweet spot. And the man has swollen balls. What does, does Victor Henry have to send Basharat a picture? Dude, you dude, this is MMA. Why why are you tempted to see that online? I, time for Victor Henry to start his OnlyFans. And also, this fight was close. It wasn't like Basharat was like dominating and Victor was looking for a way out. This is just, this is a crazy story. Yeah. So I mentioned I went out for the pay-per-view. And so I get there. And I mean, it's college, it's a college football Saturday, bro. And the bar's packed. And so it's it's a bar that I, I, I frequent. And uh, and so I'm just sitting outside, you know, having a couple of beers. And one of the bartenders is like, hey, Jason, I got you a seat at the bar. It's like, awesome, awesome. So I sit there. And this is literally as Chemaev and Usman ends. Guy next to me, clearly not an MMA fan. Clearly not an MMA fan. He goes, oh, hey, the pay-per-view's over. Y'all put on, put on football on that TV. And I looked at him and go, no, nah, bro, we got another fight. He goes, but that was Usman. I go, yeah, that's a co-main event. He's, and he just gives me that look of son of a bitch. What the, dude, it, it's like it's like in almost midnight. What, what games is he no. looking to put on? You got to remember, it was an afternoon pay-per-view. Oh yeah, that's true. I didn't. So watch it's, that like, it's like it's like wrestling show. Four, it's like that's four true. o'clock in the afternoon. That's true. I forgot about that. I watched. But it was it was a very interesting audience because like I would probably say like how many people were there? Uh, the the bar, it was full. I mean, it was completely full. For I mean, the UFC, I would say mostly there for the Ohio State Penn State game. That seemed to be what had people the most interested in. But, like, it was, I would say that there was definitely, the, okay, I'll say this. Everyone that was sitting outside, they were tuned into the UFC and they were tuned into college football. When I walked inside, eh, it was like probably 50 50. Did, uh, no, but I will say this. It was very, when, um, the main event started, it was a very clear Volk crowd, which I think should be surprised. Yeah. And fortunately for that guy, that fight lasted about, you know, a short period of time. And he was able to watch his Ohio State, Penn State barn burner. Uh, yeah. It, but, I mean, I guess, you know, it must have been a long day because the fights were on for a very long time. I would assume they have the prelims on as well. So, uh, yeah. The, the preliminary card actually wasn't that good, to be honest with you. Like, it was a lot of decisions. You know, guys looked good. Like, like Mago Madoff. The, the middleweight looks pretty dominant against Bruno Silva. I mean, the biggest storyline is Mokayev just out-wrestling Tim Elliott. Beautiful wrestling technique he showed in that second round that Daniel Cormier called perfectly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Muhammad Mokayev's, like, really effing good, and I don't know who's going to beat him. Like, who who's who's going to be able to wrestle with this dude straight up? Well, I mean, I just sometimes in, in leading in this fight, I felt like he kind of fought down to some of his competition. 
you know, where he, I think he should have just steamrolled him. You know, uh, I, I just, I mean, I, I still think the ceiling is definitely tile contender, if not, you know, championship aspirations. Um, but he's still, he's still a very young guy. By the way, is this Mahachev the best pound for pound fighter in the world? I still say it's John Jones, even with the asterisks. Yeah, it's a very tough question, especially when he goes and he takes out Volkanovski again. I'm going to go with John Jones because of his long history of being the, the GOAT. I, I, but, uh, I, I think it's history, plus the fact that he's gone up in weight and won the title in another weight class. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call, but I mean, it's really close. If we're calling pound for pound, <laughs> I mean, the guy's won a title at 205 pounds and 265. And, and let's just be in he. Well, no, pound easy. for pound, if we're going pound for pound, is you divide the talent level by pounds. So John Jones was a heavyweight. And Mahachev is 155, so pound for pound, Mahachev has a big advantage. But the question becomes, though, is at 170, and and maybe he will be very dominant at 170. This, this guy cuts a lot of weight to get 155. Let's, let's just call it. He, he's a massive 155-er. I just wonder how much that translates at 170 as opposed to what we see at 155. And, and, and I think we will see Islam in the 170-pound division. I would – Within the next 24 months. Like, if Islam got matched up with Leon Edwards next, I would probably pick Islam to beat Leon. I would, too. It's a good matchup for him. Obviously, Colby is, is the one matchup you wouldn't want, as you mentioned okay. earlier. How about Rachmanov? That's the one matchup nobody wants. But that no, might no, be... No, no one signed up to fight Rachmanov. Yeah, I mean, no one's signing up to fight that dude. And again, no one is signing up to fight Ikram. I mean, Ikram is like, Ikram to me is like the big dude coming out of this show where it's just like, this guy's a dude. Like, he's got to fight Apollo Costa-type talent next. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's 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 exciting times to be a mixed martial arts fan. There's a lot of dudes that are just must-watch, and Ikram's one of them. Oh, no, no doubt about it. Of course, uh, the UFC is going to be back next week. But uh, before we kind of get into our final two topics of the show, I do want to let you hear the conversation that I had with Jesse Finney, of course, the man who runs Shamrock Fighting Championships. They've got their 350th event coming up next week, and so I had a chance to talk to him about that. Also, we talked about a range of topics, including 10-8 rounds and whatnot. So here's the conversation I had with Shamrock FC president Jesse Finney. Joining me now here on the MMA Report podcast is, of course, the man that we've had a chance to have on the show plenty of times before, and he's got his final event of 2023, and it is a big number here. Shamrock FC 350. Jesse, man, as always, uh, appreciate time. 350 events. Like, that. that's like, like when you hear that number, is there part of you that goes, wow, I can't believe I've been doing this for this long? Uh, yes. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you having me on. And yes, I think, like, if you look at it, 350 events and just, uh, it's crazy, man. Like it really is. I mean, for us, it's just we started, you know, twenty five years, twenty over twenty five years ago, and here we are, three hundred and fifty events later. And man, it's kind of you know they say it flies by, and honestly, it did kind of fly by. Like I think, like yeah, there's been ups and downs, and you know, COVID and everything else, but like it's just been crazy, man. But like it's we're very fortunate to have a great team around us, and you know, um, three hundred fifty events later here, and we're with the Maristar in St. Charles, so. Those guys are amazing. It's it's really awesome to have the event there as well. So it means a lot because a lot of those uh, staff members and employees that work there, I mean, we've been in the same business together for like 12, 13 years now. So it's awesome to be at their venue as well. Our 25-year anniversary is at their venue. So it's it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, when you talk about 25 years, I, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is like just how much this sport has evolved and, and changed. And, um, you know, earlier on the show, me and my co-host, were, we were talking about 10-8 rounds and kind of where that, I mean, like you think about that, like, you know, you think about where the language of 10-8 rounds were 25 years ago to now. I mean, and, but it's, it's just interesting to kind of see where this sport is heading. You know, that's a great, I could talk on that forever. So it, it's, the thing is, it's like, you know, when, when I started in the, in the business, when I started, when I stepped out when I was like nine years old, right? But like, that was even before, so that's probably, like, you know, almost 40 some years ago, right? So like, it's just kind of crazy. Um, but like, you look at where MMA started, you know, when we started in 98 with Shamrock, it was all kickboxing and then we did some boxing and then it went into like 2000 and 2001, um, started with MMA, right? And if you look back at the early days of MMA, you know, I was obviously just a jiu-jitsu guy or a wrestler guy and then, you know, like a kickboxing guy and then you had a karate guy. And then now this thing, the words came in 25 years, it's, it's tremendous. And, uh, man, the sport and the athletes are just so much better than, than we were. I mean, like, truly, I can say that. Um, and these kids are just amazing at everything. But, you know, if you look inside these gyms, and, and I own a gym, but, like, these kids are eight and nine years old doing full MMA, right? I mean, they're obviously not punching each other in the face, but, like, you know, doing full takedowns and jujitsu and kickboxing and boxing. And oh, by the way, wrestling and wrestling in the offseason, these kids are just straight savages, man. And uh, to see where it's at, I mean, these kids are just so, so impressive and so great. And, you know, to see where it's came is just, it's incredible. You know, it's, I know you're not a volleyball uh, by any means, you're not a volleyball uh, show, but like, you know, my daughter, my wife played um, sand volleyball. And all through college, play volleyball. But my my daughter's playing the same volleyball, right? So it's like, and they just started with Division One volleyball. So it's kind of like you're starting to see that with like volleyball, like the sand volleyball scene. And it's like, man, I remember back whenever like you know MMA was getting started. And it's almost like starting to watch it now with like you know beach volleyball. And it's like, wow, I remember those days. And not to change subjects there, but I mean, I, I just I used that analogy the other day, and I'm like, hey. I was in those early days of MMA, right? Like I saw it starting and now you're seeing like the division one start with, with women's beach volleyball. So it's kind of, um, I don't know how I went on that tangent, but it's just kind of crazy. No, I mean, and you just see, and you know, like as you were talking about the, you know, the evolution, I mean, a, a guy that obviously you're very familiar with came up through your brand is Joaquin Buckley. And you think about who Joaquin was when he's in your gym and, and he's in the, in the Shamrock cage. And now you look at him now, like you talk about the evolution of fire, like Joaquin Buckley to me is one of those guys I immediately comes to my mind. Like, I tell people, I use this thing all the time. I was like, the Joaquin Buckley I remember in Bellator, that is not the Joaquin Buckley that we see in the UFC right now. No, not at all. Not at all. And like the Joaquin Buckley that came into our gym, Joaquin, people don't know this, Joaquin Buckley wrestled like mediocre, like in high school. Like he was a, and he'll tell you, I was just a good athlete, but I wasn't a great wrestler, right? So he walked in our gym at 17 years old and um, really explosive. I was like, okay. And then, you know, got a chance to actually know him on a personal level and like super proud of where he, what he's done, right? So it's kind of like, wow, okay, he's a different, he's a different breed, right? And, um, you look at him and you look at like what he's done, like with, with, when he was with Bellator, you know, it was like, he was so young, you know, he was just, he was just young. And then, you know what? They gave up on him. I mean, truly like they gave on a kid that had some tremendous fights in Bellator, but Oh, by the way, the one time he got dominated was a guy named Storley, right? Like, I think he's probably the best MMA wrestler in, in uh, MMA right now. Still, you can say what you want, but he probably is. Um, I mean, it's Dylan's story, right? Logan Storley, yeah. Logan Storley, Dylan Storley. Like, 
I mean, he's just a pure dominant wrestler. But now you look at all these guys and you look at Joaquin's done with his career. And I mean, it's just, you know, some things happen for a reason. And the best thing ever happened to him was getting released from Bellator because he could actually go and explore some other options with us. And then all of a sudden get picked right back up by the UFC and looking for an exciting fighter. There he is. You know, I mean, look at that. I mean, another guy that I, and I still say this right now, I, I firmly believe who came from our organization is Johnny Evelyn. I think Johnny Evelyn's the best 185er in the world. The world. I mean, I think he beats Sean Strickland eight, eight out of ten times. I really believe that. Strickland could catch him, but, I mean, I mean, I believe, and I've said this for many years, he's the best 185er in the world. I don't think there's many people who follow the entire sport of mixed martial arts that would disagree with you. I, I think more, people who are in the know and, and know what they're watching, yeah, Johnny Eblen to me, and yeah, it, it's, yeah, I, I think you put him against Strickland. I think he, you know, maybe there, there I think there might be some other more intriguing matchups for him at 85. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think he's the best 85 in the world. I, I really believe that. And, you know, it's um, hopefully Johnny's going to be there next Saturday as well. Joaquin was at the show right before that. I mean, these guys all still come around, you know, um, obviously like, you know, from, from Lampros to, I mean, a- Andrew Sanchez was, was with our organization for many years. I mean, you look at, I mean, all the guys that came through 350 shows later, and it's, um, it's kind of bizarre. It's crazy. And I could go on and on a list of guys that are still there. I mean, I mean, Garrett Armfield right now is putting on dynamite fights, right? Um, Mikey, Mikey Breeden out of uh, Kansas city just fought this last weekend. You know, he came from our organization. I mean, a lot of these guys and you're looking at, and, um, you know, would they definitely, we've hopefully elevated their career and helped them along the way. And it's just been a, it's been a great journey and we're still, uh, we're going strong here. So it's going to be good. And you talk about a fire looking to bounce back at one of the minutes in your main event here at Shamrock FC 350 on November 4th. Of course, if people are not in the area, you can watch this event on fight TV. And that's Josh Augustine coming off a loss back in, back in February, looking to bounce back. And, uh, you know, he, he's had a weather, I guess, some adversity leading up to this one of, uh, you know, opponents uh, not ultimately coming together. Yeah, I mean, you look at someone like Josh Augustine and all these guys we've mentioned, like, you know, from uh, Buckley, and I really mean this, Buckley, I think, is probably one of the best athletes in all of MMA, but um, someone like Josh Augustine or, you know, Josh Augustine, Johnny Eblen, all these guys, I really would put Augustine up there as, as athleticism with a lot of these guys, man. He, uh, you know, he's had a tough, tough go with, you know, some personal issues as well, and you know what? I think the, his last fight got a little bit of the better of him on the personal side, and he didn't realize it going into it. And um, look, and he got dropped. He got dropped. He got he called the body shot. It could happen to, it could happen to Johnny Evelyn, right? I mean, it could happen to anybody. Um, but Josh is a he's a true warrior. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him fight next Saturday night, and it's going to be an awesome show overall. Very rewarding. 350 shows later, uh, I cannot wait. And of course, you can see it on Fight TV, F-I-T-E dot TV. So it's going to be an awesome night that night. Of course, Nick stepping up here. Um, you know, the, you know, mentioned about you know going through some opponent changes here. Uh, you know, Nick obviously, I mean, game opponent here. Yeah, Nick's a very game opponent. I mean, this is our fourth opponent we've been through through Josh. There's not a lot of people that really want to fight Josh out there. I mean, Josh is uh, he's a guy that's gonna, you know, if he's gonna beat you, he's gonna hurt you. He's not gonna take you down and submit you, right? I mean, he's just not that type of guy. If he's gonna beat you, he's, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna beat you up. I mean, he's kind of like a Buckley, to be honest with you. We had some. Um, some guys that were just asking for outlandish money to, to fight him and just like show money. We didn't want any win money. We we're just coming for the, you know, you know, we want guys that want to come here to fight. Right. I mean, and this is what hopefully we have in, in Josh's opponent. So I think it will be a good show when it's all said and done. And, um, 
here we are, 25 years, 350 shows. So it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait to, for the show. Of course, you know, the show coming up here uh, in next week. As, as you look at some of these other fights on the card, you know, I'm just looking at kind of the fight card you had. Of course, you know, to, you have the kickboxing matchups. Your, your first couple of fights of the night will be kickboxing, the rest of it being MMA. In, in terms of the mixed martial arts action, what, what are some of the fights that, that stick out to you? You know, Austin Mickiff's coming off a, a, a really bad loss in his last fight real quick. I think he's got a lot to prove coming back against Michael Banks. I mean, if you look at the guys on the card, I mean, there's a lot of up-and-comers. There's a guy named, a kid named Ernest Bolt, who I think is, uh, he's on the card, he's on the undercard. He's one of these guys that always brings a fight to you. He's always extremely exciting um, on the card. So every time he fights, I'm really excited for that one. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good matchups just overall, you know, when you look at these fights. I mean, from top to bottom. We do, we mix kickboxing in with, with the MMA. You know, we try to put in, you know, 12 to 15 fights when it's all said and done. With maybe, you know, maybe three or four kickboxing. We have two female um, kickboxing bouts, and that's always fun for the for the fans. And you know, it's just extra for us. You know, we try to really give back and make it a great experience for the fans. And, and mentioned about it, it is the final Shamrock Show uh, of 2023. Uh, what, what's in store for Shamrock in 2024? Yeah, I mean, this is our final show for Shamrock FC, but you know, we obviously have a big event with Guns and Hoses coming up here the night before Thanksgiving, where we try to give back to first responders, fallen first responders, families. Um, so we'll we'll obviously have that show. But then again, in um, 2024, I mean, we look to, uh, we got some really exciting news to be, you know, announced here. The first, we're the first part of, of 2024. They will lead in 2024, 25, 26. So um, a lot of really good things looking for some long-term deals um, <clears throat> with a couple of our casino partners. And it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I mean, like with what we have shaken, uh, this is probably the most excited I've been into it. So um, going into a new year. So it's going to be great. So what you're telling me is Shamrock FC 400 will not be that far away. No, it will not be that far away. And it's going to be at uh, 400 will be in an amazing venue as well. So um, there's a lot of exciting news coming up for us. So we're going to, we got some, some really good, good stuff going on. I mean, some good, um, another city we're probably popping into, we're probably popping into uh, some new arenas as well. So that's going to be great also. I also saw, I want to say it was uh, for Shamrock FC uh, 348 that uh, Bobby Volecker was, uh, made his uh, commentary debut for you? Yeah, Bobby, you know, Bobby's been a long time, you know, fighter with us and a, and a friend of the Shamrock family for many years. We look forward to having him back in Kansas City whenever he's there. He'll be at the show next Saturday night as well. And that's a lot of these guys come back. I mean, they're, they're all around. I mean, once they leave, they seem to always come back around, and we, we're really proud of that. Uh, but Bobby's been obviously commentating on we're planning on bringing him back to commentating a lot more in Kansas City. You know, it was his first time doing it. I thought he did a tremendous job, and it's his first time ever doing it. So, um, I mean, obviously UFC, Strikeforce bet, you know, Shamrock FC bet. So, I mean, he's been around the game. Look, he was the first professional fighter in the state of Missouri. So, uh, as a pro, fighting the state. So, Bobby's uh, he's, he's a legend. He really is. And, you know, we're excited to have him part of Shamrock FC. You know, talking about the, the Shamrock FC 350, once again, November the 4th, Maristar Casino. Uh, of course, if you're not in that area, you can watch this thing on Fight TV. Of course, you go over there. Uh, you know, I know you got, you know, a 35-pound fight, Alec Reed. Uh, I know there was some promotion on your on your, um, on your social media for him as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about Alec Reed. Alec is a, uh, a really exciting fighter. Alec Reed, I mean, he is he's a guy that always is going to bring the fight, you know, and, and he's fighting Patrick Jihad. So, like, um, you really have striker versus grappler. Someone like Alec Reed is, man, he trains with Benny Boyles. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but Justin Lawrence that was in the UFC, that was in Bellator. Um, he trains with Benny. It's such a small, small world. My stepdad trained Benny Boyles. So 
Like it's kind of like a, you know, the ball comes full circle. Um, Alex is a kid that just throws bombs. I mean, he throws bombs. I mean, I think his, I don't know if it was his last fight of the fight before, but I literally thought he was out on his feet and got, he got, I mean, boom, went out. And then he comes through and he got hit again. And he came to and then went in the fight. I mean, so, um, and he's fighting Patrick Jihots. So Patrick is a submission wrestler guy. Um, be, that's a hell of a fight. I mean, it really is. I mean, a fight like that, I think it's got, you know, it's grappler versus, striker versus grappler. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Who, whoever gets it there first is probably going to end up winning it. So, Patrick's got to get him down, though. That's the problem, you know, with a striker. So if you're a striker, you better get off quick because um, – but I wouldn't want to get hit by Alex Reed. He's, he's, a, he's a 35, right? So, like, um, that, that's a good fight you know, on paper. Classic MMA matchmaking right there. Classic <laughs> MMA matchmaking. Rob Donnecker is finest. I mean, you know, we were, we were mentioning about – we were talking about 10-8 rounds earlier on and, you know, because obviously we were talking about the, the Chamaya fight and, and Usman. And I'm just like – I, I talk to these regulators, and I'm like, we we got to get some better definitions on 10-8 rounds. I know. I know. I think the whole scoring system needs to be cleaned back up. I mean, like, that's just me. I think that um, judges, you know, everyone, everyone says, well, this judge scores it this way. Well, this judge sees it that way. It shouldn't be a judge sees it this way and judge sees it that way. It should be a pretty straight line, I feel, it's not what that judge feels. It's how the system works. It's not yeah. because you feel that way. I mean, it's got to be cleaned up a little bit better, right? I mean, like, um, and we're still young in the sport, so there's a lot of growth that can that can happen. And uh, you know, I, I talk to people. Well, this judge is usually he likes it this way. Well, this judge likes it that way. Well, those judges should not see it the way that they want it and how they see it. It should be the standardized um, scoring system, right? And like, this is how it's scored. You tell us how it's going to go, you know, but I don't know. Um, there's a lot. I wouldn't want to be a judge. I could tell you. Oh, that. I mean, you could, you wouldn't want to be a judge. I wouldn't want to be a, a referee. Um, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, you're, you're the best guy. You do your job and you're never noticed. Right. So like, I mean, that's, that's their job. And, you know, when you start getting your name out there in the media and you're starting to get these Twitter accounts when you're a referee and you're getting all these Instagrams and you're a referee, it means you're probably wanting some attention, right? And um, I really feel like the less attention you get as a referee or a judge, you're doing your job better. I, I relate to being an NFL offensive lineman. You really only know that offensive lineman's name or number is if, if there's a penalty called on you. And, and so, like, it, it's just it, it's one of those things where, like, and and one of the things I did find very interesting was a couple weeks ago, um, before her last fight, Michelle Waterson was talking about that she started reaching out to judges. And she's like, you know, hey, I just want to have a conversation. I just, I just want to know what you're looking at. And, and I want to see it. And, and sometimes, like, I even look at it just as, you know, and look, you, there is not enough money. You could pay me to be a judge. I've sat there at cage side, and you, you've kind of seen how these judges go. And I'm like, that is not an easy job. That is a, a very tough job. But, like, there are times where I sit there and go, like, I want to know that a judge, like, knows what's it like to be in a rear naked choke. You know? Right. What's it right. like to get dropped in a fight? What's it like to take a, a body kick or a, a liver shot? You know, th those are things I think that, and, and the one good thing is I do think we have regulars out there that they want to change the sport. I just think it's it's a matter of how do we get to the, I, I, and I have no idea what the proper scoring system is. I have no clue what it should be. Yeah, I mean, that's a long debated question, right? I mean, but I do think there needs to be one that can go across the board and be standardized, you know, yeah. like, you know, I don't really want to get into all this right now, but like, 
some of these referees are talking the other day that well, you can have two two hands can be on the ground, but it's a grounded opponent. We can only have one because it's a grounded opponent. And I'm like, because it's state to state. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what, what are we doing here? You know, then obviously whoever's making these rules was not a fighter because if you're a fighter, the only thing you're trying to do when you're in there is get your opponent out. Okay, I gotta look over. Does he have one? Does he have one hand down? Does he have two <laughs> yeah. hands down? Like, I mean, like, it's that's people that are making those types of rules really don't know what they're doing. And I, 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 I probably upset some people by saying that, but that's really how I feel. Um, and, and listen, I wouldn't want their job, you know, but at the same time, like, we got to come to a, a resolution here for everybody that's going to help everybody come across and get on the same page because there's too much controversy in it. It really is. It's like the handball in soccer. I mean, it really is. Like, you know, is it a handball? Is it not a handball? Was it intentional? Was it not intentional? Is it a handball? Yeah. The, the only oh. thing I would say this, like, and, and I think especially when you're talking about these big productions, like a UFC type show where you've got 80 cameras, I would like to see instant replay get utilized to where it doesn't, it doesn't end the fight. If you got to go to replay over whatever it may be, you know, maybe it's a, a, a low shot. Was it a low shot? Was it not a low shot? Like that the fight doesn't end because we go to replay. Like that's the one rule change. I think I would want to change. Sure. Sure. I'm with you. Look, in our last our last main event in Kansas City a couple weeks ago, um, there's elbows to the back of the head, right? And I'm here to tell you, I was 15 feet because it's completely across. I was probably 25 feet because it was completely across the cage from it. Okay, but I had a perfect view. Mm -hmm. Perfect view. I couldn't tell if it was the back of the head or not. Because like, he was moving his head, moving, moving, moving. And I'm like, I can't really tell. Then I, I looked. And he had a cut straight across the back of the head. So obviously it was the back of the head. But I wouldn't want that referee's job. Like, and I'm sitting here and I had the perfect view. And I could not tell. So like, I don't know. I mean, that's a, such a bang, bang, you know, call at that time. You know, but also, I mean, I was like, you know, why are we not you? We have instant replay. Why are we not using it? Like, yeah, I really, I, yeah. Like, okay, are we going to call this fight? In the state of Missouri, they called it right. It was perfect, and they did a great job with it, mm -hmm. okay? But imagine if it didn't go that way. You know, I mean, can we – do we overturn that call? In the state of Missouri, they do a lot of times. We had a great commissioner, you know, and um, they do the right things. But why don't they do that in every, every state? Like, I, don't th I think sometimes we may try to make things a little bit too difficult um, when it really doesn't have to be that difficult. You know, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, there was a UFC fight. God, it, it wasn't that – Maybe it was a Bellator fight, but it was like literally it was it was that type of similar situation. And you could definitely tell the ref like did not want to make the final call. Like he was kind of basically telling the commissioner like, "Hey, I need you to make this call because it was a bang bang thing, and it could be, it could not be." Right, and and you know what? At that point, we're all human. Just just look at it. You know, like let's look at it on an instant replay. Let's do the right thing, okay? Because that is the right thing. Get the right, get it the right way. Look at it on instant replay, and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, and you don't. I don't believe you abuse it, you know, and everything's yeah. got to go to replay. Um, but it's the same way. I mean, I, I play college baseball. I'm, I'm, I mean, I played baseball my whole life. I really believe they have to come up with a computerized strike zone um, for umpires behind the play. Like, I, there's too much. That this umpire calls it that way. Calls it this way. And I'm a purist, okay? But also, I'm also the purist that said, do the right thing. You know, do the, if that, do the right thing. Are we going to let umpires, you know, control a game? You know, are we going to let referees 
It, it really is. I mean, if this yeah. technology here lets you use it, man. I mean, like, it really just, I mean, it doesn't have to be that hard. And I yeah, feel like sometimes. I, I, I don't know if you see. I don't know if you've seen the videos of basically how bad some of these umpires are at calling balls and strikes. Like it is amazing. Angel Hernandez is the worst, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, yes, it's awful. It's awful. I know, I know, I know. There was Kyle. What was it? Kyle, was it Bryce? Hup, Bryce Harper here tonight. I I felt like he just wanted to fling the bat at the umpire. You talking about the third base umpire? Like, did he say he did not? Did he went around? No, he. I remember he looked at the ump, and I mean, because when they, it was. I don't know if I saw it like on a reel or a TikTok, and he just showed how bad the 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 missed balls and strikes were. Right. He went to swing. He held his his bat. He held it. He, then they the third base or the umpire looked down at the third base or the third base umpire and said, "Did he go?" And he said, "Yes." And it was Angel Hernandez. And he didn't even really move, and he called it. And it just, it's just, un- it's unnecessary things like that need to happen. I mean, we, we need to, I mean, we're going, we went from volleyball, baseball, to internet. <laughs> so like, um, but, like, yes, I mean, there's no reason that we, should, we shouldn't do the right thing and use the instant replay, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, because I look at it from, like, you know, say, say for someone who's fighting Shamrock FC 350, like, if you're, you know, you know you're you know one two three fights away from you know potentially a, a UFC or or a PFL type offer. You know if, if you have a decision go against you, that might set you back a year, took, two years. He took, the, he took the words out of my mouth, honestly. Like you know, Josh Augustine goes out in this next fight. Let's say that he he loses because of a, a low blow, right? And then the referees didn't see it. Well, now he's on a two fight losing streak. How bad does it set him back? You know, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Let's say he was the UFC or PFL. A couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's like, hey, let's do the right things here. And I really believe that we need to. Um, and hopefully we can improve this sport for 2024. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do. Like I, One of the guys I really love is, is Andy Frost out in California because I think he's one of these commissioners that is is very much in the – we how, how do we evolve the sport? How do we take the sport to another level and, and make sure, you know, I mean, it can be all teachable moments. And, and I think we all understand that. But, of course, you got Shamrock FC 350 come here November the 4th. Of course, uh, they're from the Maristar Casino. Uh, if you're not there, you know, stream it on Fight TV. Jesse, man, as always, I, I appreciate time. And, of course, uh, uh, ShamrockFightingChampionships.com is uh, the place where I want to go ever get, to get all the information they need, right? I appreciate all your support throughout all the years, and uh, hopefully you guys will tune in on Fight TV. If not, the live people will see at Maristar Casino. But yeah, 350 events later, here we are, and you know, look forward to 2024 as well. So thank you for all your support. And there you have my conversation with Jesse Finney. As always, I appreciate him taking time to talk to me. Of course, they've got their event coming up here next week on November the 4th, Shamrock Fighting Championships 350. Of course, if you're not there in that area, you can't watch that event on Fight TV. But, Daniel, as we get into our final two topics here on this episode of the podcast, uh, topic number three on Saturday, we've got no UFC, we've got no PFL, we got no Bellator, but we do got... Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou Saturday afternoon pay-per-view and uh, the bar that uh, I go to to watch FSU games FSU plays at noon it's where the Tampa Knoll Club goes they're going to have Fury Ngannou so if I do go out for FSU's game which you know should be a victory let's knock on wood on, on that one um, 
I'll watch Fury and Ganu. I'm not saying that I'm all jazzed up for it. Am I a little intrigued? I would say I'm a little intrigued. I don't know if we'll ever have an opportunity to watch an MMA fighter take on the heavyweight, the best heavyweight boxer in the world again. So, oh, especially when the MMA fighters never had a boxing fight. Yeah, we'll never see this again. So screw it. Let's get excited. It's never going to happen again. We're never going to be talking about like freaking this type of situation ever again. So I think let's just enjoy it. Let's just see what happens. Francis is probably going to lose convincingly, but man, maybe he'll shock the world. He probably won't. I mean, but hey, we just saw Virginia beat like North Carolina. So what's a bigger upset? Virginia beating North Carolina this past Saturday or or France? Oh, biggest upset. Um, That Francis winning or my Texas Rangers beating the Astros ass and going to the World Series. I was waiting for how long it was going to take you to get that in this podcast. Look, Virginia's bad. They're bad. They're bad. Um, You know, but they actually play football all the time. I mean, look, Ingano's like, I mean, what, a 20 to 1 underdog in this one? I mean, it's not a good look when you're taking on, you know, obviously the best heavyweight in the world and one of the best heavyweights to ever do it in, in boxing. And the guy's already got a fight scheduled for eight weeks later. I mean, it, it's one of these things of I do wonder if, if Tyson Fury is just going to treat this as a sparring match. I mean, look, if Tyson Fury goes out there and, and does what Tyson Fury does, I think he should win easily. I, I I think his movement is what's going to be the ultimate. That that to me is what if he was more of a guy that kind of just stood in the pocket and swung punches, but I just I think he dances around in Ganu. I think he picks him apart. And Ganu clearly has a puncher's chance in this one. Um, you know, but the question is is what happens if Ganu does shock the world? Like you know the upper management of the UFC is going to be watching this pay per view. Like, is there fear in Ghana wins? Yeah, then they have to just buy the PFL. Like, no, but like, think about this. If Ngannou wins, somehow pulls this thing off, is every MMA fire going to go, hey, why can't I get that opportunity? Yeah. And and by the way, if Ngannou beats Fury, it doesn't even matter who the PFL puts him up against. He now is a mega draw fighting a, a tomato can. Because, like, honestly, that's going to be a crazy story. Like, we still talk about Buster Douglas to this day. And, obviously, Tyson Fury is, like, like so much not Mike Tyson in terms of fame. But the story of Francis beating the heavyweight champion in the world, and if he beats him, it's probably going to be a knockout, makes him, like, a major return on investment on however much the PFL laid out for signing him. Um, okay, so, right, I mean... Right. Let's just say, and look, I don't think this is going to happen. But let's just say Ngannou wins. He may never fight the PFL. Yeah, I mean, because he's going to make less money than if he just does a boxing fight with Fury, be a rematch, and then if he beats him again, then, you know, it just takes over the world. But, like, obviously Tyson is probably taking him for granted, which is a mistake. But every time we see an enemy fighter take on a high-level boxer in a boxing match, the boxer just outclasses him. So that's okay. kind of where I'm at on this one. I got another hypothetical at you. Conor McGregor is going to challenge whoever uh, wins this fight on social media. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see him. Yeah, I could, 100%. You, you, you know Conor's going to be tweeting during this one. You know he is. You think we'll ever see – you think we'll see Conor box a call, brother? Is that where we're going with this? I, I almost would be surprised if that never does happen. I know, right? I know. Yeah. I, I agree. 
By the way, yeah, Saturday I'm I'm actually uh, I'm moving in with my girlfriend, so I don't Ooh, even know how. Big, oh, big day! Yeah, I don't even know how I'm gonna manage watching um, this fight while we're moving everything in. But I'm gonna try my best to have it on my phone and. You know, maybe maybe on one of the because I live like forty five minutes from where I'm moving in, so maybe it'll be going on as it's happening. And the Lord knows if the World Series will be going on that day. Like she's got to understand. I know we're moving in, but I have some big sporting events going on. Not to mention, I want to watch this three and a half hour um, Martin Scorsese movie. I'm going to offer you some advice. What's that? Just remember, happy lady, happy life. Yeah. You may not want to start this off on the wrong foot. I'm just saying. But it's it's Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou, Jason. I mean, the, first off, the, first so off, fucking I, I know your girl sees our clips on social media. Yeah, you better not post this clip, man. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't post some of our commentary a few weeks ago, but, you know, <laughs> this doesn't get me in the doghouse. I'm going to move straight into the doghouse. Hey, you you, uh, you yeah. didn't want to talk about that female? You didn't want clips about that female boxer? Is that what, is that what you're telling me? Yeah, yeah, that um, that uh, that is not the type of content I would like to be clipped out and taken out of context. You know, you, you, you saw her roll home, and she goes, "Hey, Daniel, so I'm over on our Instagram." Yeah, I meant to block our Instagram accounts from her profile. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. So, like, are you moving yourself, or are you being smart and actually hire someone to be the movers? Uh, we have like a dude that's helping us. My dad like has a dude that like helps him do odd stuff because he like, uh, like builds houses. My dad does. So, uh, we have one guy helping us. But it's like again, it's not like a crazy move. Like, yes, we're moving my whole bed in there and sofa and a lot of furniture. So we are moving a lot of that crap. But, uh, yeah, we don't have a whole moving company. But also, again, it's like 45 minutes from my house, so it's going to be like we're moving things at a time throughout the weeks, you know. Like, oh, so I'm you're not be... getting like like a, a U-Haul type truck? No, not all at once. I mean, there's a damn Texans game on Sunday, and we don't get cable until Monday, so I'm coming back home to watch the Texans game, and uh, I'll pick up some more <laughs> of the clothes I left over. Priorities, huh? Oh, yeah. The Texans are actually good this year. I'm not going to miss a regular season game because we're moving in. You know, there'll be plenty of it's, it's only a four hour investment. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll I mean, see I mean you know, you, you get you, look, you just got to play your cards right. You just got to go, look, honey, my, my baseball team lost 100 games two years ago. Now they're in the World Series. Yeah. And I haven't even been able to watch like the whole every single Rangers game. Okay. By the way, like but here, here, I've, could, I'm here could be your problem, Daniel. You know, she might What's ask. That? She might go, "Hey, there's this pumpkin patch I want to go to on Saturday night." Oh yeah, well, that's true. But she always you you had not thought about this yet. You clearly yeah. had not had a thorough conversation about it with yourself. About but whatever, this. whatever the girl wants, the girl gets. That's just life. Oh no, so no, wanted, no, you're right. No, you you she, look that that is that that is handbook one hundred and one material right there. Yeah, yeah. You think? Uh, yeah. How come we never see any UFC fighters in pumpkin patch pictures? Like, why isn't Sean Strickland? Posing at a pumpkin patch. I would laugh my ass off myself trying to at a pumpkin patch. I guarantee you there's plenty of fighters who have kids 
that have gone to the pumpkin patch. Maybe they haven't put that picture online, but I guarantee you. I mean, here's the thing. How many, because I will say this. So uh, it was uh, when FSU played, oh man, they played a 3.30 game a couple weeks ago. And, um, or no, I think it was a noon game. It was a home game. And I remember I got there. I saw this dude who clearly brought his girlfriend to the bar to watch the game. And she did not want to be there. And I was like, this dude needs to read the room. This is not going to be a fun night for him. Yeah, but it's worth it. It's a magical season for the Seminoles. You got to know. Uh, by, by the way, so will the Astros have home field advantage? Or, uh, oh, no. Uh, will Rangers. the Rangers have home field advantage? Uh, I feel like we have a good chance. I don't know. I haven't looked at the re- – wait, is it the All-Star game still? No, it's no, not. It's I, think it's, I think it's whoever has better – the reason I said Houston – We had a good record. Because you know what I was thinking? I was like – because I remember looking at the schedule ahead. If Houston would have been in the World Series, Game 7 – would be would the been, would be the night that I'm in Houston because the Bucks play the Texans the next day. Oh my gosh, that would have been amazing to go to a, a World Series Game Seven. That would have been crazy. Um, I can only imagine okay, so what it cost me. The uh, the Rangers clearly have a better record than the Diamondbacks, and we have the exact same record as the Phillies. So uh, I don't know what the tiebreaker is on that. Yeah. By by the way, Derek Jeter awful on TV. By the way. Guy's got yeah, no, really, he has no personality. Oh man, no opinions. I, I, I look, look, give me Big Poppy all day long. He is entertaining as hell. Yeah, why did the why did they just decide to go with like two of the people we hated the most as sports fans? They're like A Rod and Derek Jeter. You rooted against them, and now you got to watch them commentate. Like Big Poppy, yeah, everyone loved Big Poppy. Like give us more Big Poppy. I, I saw this know. clip where like he. He gave everyone cowboy hats. So, uh, oh god, what's the play-by-play guy? The guy's the host of it. Um, the LA guy. Oh uh, no, uh, not Verducci. Start, starts with. I want to say his last name starts with a B. Bry. Well, I'm just gonna look it up. I think he was supposed to be the guy that was gonna. He's like he's basically their lead baseball guy, and then it's A Rod, Poppy, Jeter. So, uh, Big Poppy gives everyone a, a cowboy hat. Jeter was the only one who went put it on. Damn. Kevin Burks something? Burkhart? Burkhart, yeah. Kevin, Kevin Burkhart. Burkhart. Yeah, he's he's uh, really good play a play guy. Yeah. It's yeah, he, yeah. There's a lot of really good guys. I don't even know their names. Yeah. I just yeah. wonder, like, I I mean, like, do you think you could drag your girl to a bar on Saturday afternoon to watch Fury and Ghana? I don't know if I I don't think I could. Yeah, but if I I can't tell her why we're there, I could be like, "You want to go on a you want to go on a date night? You want to go check out this really good chicken establishment?" Yeah, you you just better hope that she doesn't like go. Hey, Daniel, I downloaded the podcast. I was listening. It's like you live with me now. You don't need to listen to me anymore. <laughs> Some dumb opinions. Have you seen my best bets? You don't want to take those. You're gonna lose money. No, <clears throat> trust me. I, I had I had some very awful takes last weekend. Very awful takes. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, like, look, it's. I, I think as an MMA fan, would you know? I think we're kind of rooting for Francis and Ghana, even though I think we all know kind of how this thing's going to go. Um, as we move into uh, miscellaneous news here, as we wrap up this episode of the podcast, uh, first off, all right, yeah, like, is Scott Coker just cleaning out his office and just goes, you know what? Let's get rid of Dylan Danis. Yeah, 
he's got to be the last guy to get released from Bellator, right, in history. Because, I mean, they're probably going to sell. I mean, maybe that'll be the big topic next week is Bellator sells. Or are they going to wait until after their event? Because, like, I'm, yeah. I mean, look, what's it, November 17th? or Is it 17th or 11th? Is it, I think it's November 17th or is their next card. Um, I mean, look, we we all know it's going down. We all know it's going down. Even though Chris Cyborg's hinting she's got to fight January 19th. I mean, and look, and, and there is this thought process that PFL could keep Bellator around, which I, I don't think is an awful idea, you know, a, as a way to continue to give fighters fights. Um, if a, yeah. if a, the brand the brand has recognition. There's been 301 events and well, maybe more because there's been like other little non-numbered events. So there's value in it. It, it gets confusing when you have two properties and you don't even have one strong one. So I can see why you would do away with it. Maybe maybe they need to do like a uh, like a, a Premier League type thing where you, there's a uh, the big promotion, and then you get reg- regulated if you you don't do so well. Maybe yeah, like a tournament situation. Yeah, I, I kind of think you could sell me yeah. on that. Yeah, not a bad idea. By the way, speaking of PFL, so uh, most valuable promotions, of course, that is the promotion company, Jake Paul. They have this tweet out today. It says, Jake Paul will not be boxing Nate Diaz again. Nate Diaz and Jake Paul have received an offer from the PFL to rematch in MMA in the smart cage. Jake Paul has accepted the offer. First off, like, are you required to say smart cage? Legally, it was probably a part of the contract. It was probably a part of the wording. Like, and then I'm I don't think Smart Cage is going to take off. Yeah, but I'm also sitting there going, have you guys not heard Nate Diaz opinion of PFL? Yeah. Yeah, but we do know his opinion of money. But, uh, yeah, it seems like they're trying to pressure him into signing it. And, again, Nate, you got to do a PFL fight. You do an MA fight against Paul for, I mean, that's going to be a good payday. I wonder it's if he yeah, should take it, but. I mean, look, if you're a PFL, I mean, and you're looking to do that inaugural pay-per-view, I mean, that's the fight that makes – if you're talking about Ngannou's the main event against whoever you're going to put him in there against, and your co-main event is Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz, I think you have a chance to sell a decent amount of pay-per-views. Now, is that decent amount of pay-per-views north of 200000 I don't know. I don't think so. 200000 is a lot. But I think you can depend on Jake Paul to sell a fight and do over a hundred thousand. I mean, what did you say, two hundred thousand? Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think that beats two hundred thousand. I thought you were saying two million. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 get, I mean, like the zone. I guess I don't know whether it's the zone or somebody else was saying that Dennis and and Logan did one point three, and then I saw a thing on Twitter where Dave Meltzer basically said, "Yeah, it's closer to a hundred thousand than it is a million. Oh, really? He said it was closer to a hundred thousand. Yeah, oh, I think sure. I want to say he said that typically when it comes to TV and internet stream sales, it's one to three. So for every one TV buy, three streaming buys. Um, and, and he was saying the TV buys were like 10,000. Damn, that's crazy. Hell, I mean, if you're PFL, why, why don't you just go, screw it, let's do Logan Paul versus Dylan Dancing and make H. Yeah, I don't think Logan wants that fight. <laughs> Because Dylan Dennis was pretty ruthless with his... Uh, I, I, I wonder with Logan, is there going to become a point where the WWE says, hey man, we want you to be a full-time guy, not a you show up 10, 15 times a year type guy? I don't think he'll ever be a full-time guy. 
because he just lives life to the tune of his own drum. So I think he has the leverage in the situation, but he also seems very at home in the WWE. But he, to me, is just that textbook guy who's just living life the way he wants to live it. And I think he loves dipping in all these different worlds. Yeah, I mean, dude is, I mean, he's super talented. I mean, I mean, whatever your opinion are of the Paul Burroughs, if you just look at Logan as an athlete, that dude is super talented. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, you, you train professional wrestling. He's doing things that I'm just like, you would think this guy's been training for 10 years. Yeah, and and he does things that athletically not many people can do. I mean, that, that big highlight with him and Ricochet, both jumping from each side of the ring, I mean, that's something that will be in video packages for the rest of our lives. That's how cool that moment was. Dude, Ricochet, that dude is crazy athletic. Yeah, and he's been doing it for years, too. I mean, this is a 15-plus-year professional dude, the, like, He's flipping out over the top rope and landing on his feet? Like, yeah, that shit's crazy, bro. Like, like yeah. that's what my, okay. Like, when did you learn, hey, I have the ability to do this? Dude, he probably did it as a kid. Not that specific thing, but he must have been flipping as a kid. And when he debuted on the independent wrestling scene as a child, 16, 17, 18 years old, he was already doing crazy stuff. I think some of these kids, they, they grow up without that fear of flips, or if they have that fear, they get over it really quick. And so they're just practicing it nonstop and then they just become you know wwe superstars it's yeah nice it's, little. it's insane i mean i i just sometimes you know and, and, and you know i watch you know wwe you know here and there and sometimes like i see him do some things i'm like holy crap like yeah you're just like wow i can't believe someone can do that and 15 years from now or 10 there's going to be another guy who even blows your mind even that much more you dude know, you wouldn't be you still think about it like, I mean, I grew up in the day of ECW when it was really ECW. There was some shit you saw at house shows. You're like, how are they doing this? And the answer is hard drugs and alcohol. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. For real. <laughs> for real. It's to numb the pain. For real. Yeah. They Dude. did some stupid stuff and it was entertaining, but it was certainly stupid. Oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm telling you, some of the craziest house shows I ever went to. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine. That is a golden era of wrestling right there, buddy. Yeah, I mean, people, golden you era. know, you know, letting fans come in with cooking sheets. Yeah, just you leave. Bye, honey. Oh, hold on. Let me grab a cookie sheet. <laughs> you come home. Honey goes... Hey, uh, I'm trying to make some cookies for the kids. I can't find it. It had to get thrown away. Or all of the cookies are in the shape of Rob Van Dam's face. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Yeah, some of those guys. Like, I feel like the old school wrestling fan has no idea how crazy Sabu was. Oh, yeah. Sabu is insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Apparently, just... he would, like, apparently, he would mess up on purpose. You know, like that would be a part of the thing is like he would mess up on purpose to make it seem even crazier. I don't know, dude. I mean, yeah, some of the yeah, it just absolutely insane. Some of the stuff I saw here in Tampa back in the uh, mid 90s, mid 90s, yeah. late 90s. Sabu like cut open his like bicep or something and literally went backstage and either super glued or stapled it and came back out and finished the match. 
he's like the Ronnie Lot of professional wrestling. Oh man, that's too funny. Could you imagine? You get imagine wrestling come back and goes, "Hey man, you got some super glue or a uh, a stapler?" Yeah, that was Sabu, bro. Freaking crazy. <laughs> Oh man, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. But, uh, but of course, as always, man, we appreciate everyone tuned in for this podcast. Uh, of course, I did release the second episode of Get to Know, uh, joined by the LFA flyweight champion, Cody Davis. He's got a title uh, defense coming up. He his first title defense since winning the vacant title. So you can check that out right here on the Amir Report uh, feed, whether you watch us on YouTube or on the podcasting platforms. Of course, appreciate Jesse Finney coming on the podcast. Be sure to check out Shamrock FC 350 on November 4th. Watch that on Fight TV. And, uh, of course, myself and Dave will be back next week talking about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts.